Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Hey everybody and welcome to Kurt's Angle Podcast, it's Kurt Johansson and today it's part two of the English Lion Eddie Ryan interview. If you've not checked out part one, make sure you do where we talk about how he got into professional wrestling, his time in Japan and America, building his name in the southwest of England and everything to do with five-star wrestling that was on Free Sports TV in 2018. Today we're going to be talking about his time with NXT UK his time with Reach Wrestling, who are growing rapidly in the southwest of England, and also his remaining goals in professional wrestling. Eddie, thank you for joining us. No problem. Thank you for having me back. No, thank you, man. So we'll delve, we'll delve straight into it. You mentioned five-star uh, wrestling, mm-hmm. and you mentioned it's horrible with teams uh, when companies close and mm-hmm. it's taking jobs away. Mm-hmm. Recently, Pro Wrestling Chaos, that was initially going to close, a company that um, is one of your homes in wrestling, Mm -hmm. and that got new ownership in Wild Boar and Flash Morgan Webster. However, some companies haven't been as fortunate. What was your process with the news? Chaos was closing originally, but then when it was the news, it was being taken over by Wild Boar and Flash. Um, uh, I'm... I'm good friends with the the previous owners, uh, Dave, Rob, and Gideon. They were uh, they they're my good friends, and I, I work closely with them. And I, again, anywhere where I can get to work closely with them, with regards to my my character, is something I want to do. I don't just want to float by. I want to be in like integral to the the, the process. So I, I had known that there was maybe a stop coming 
from previous conversations as much as almost a year before just because of how busy they had got themselves they had their own jobs their own lives their own families and so I knew from talking to them they felt that they had taken it as far as they could and they just didn't want to see it just decline and become a shell of what it was so I knew that at some point they were going to call it a day and so when they eventually did it wasn't so heartbreaking as as if I hadn't have had the conversations with them previously Um, but it is somewhere that uh, I had a massive soft spot for and uh, and I always enjoyed being there and working for them and working with them and and building my myself with them so it it was it was a sad day um but I did have a feeling that with the you know the audience and the fan base that they had accrued over their time that I th- didn't really think it was going to go and I had a feeling that someone might like come in and take it it would just depend on who was going to um, work out whether they could take it forward or have the time to really sort of to develop it or keep it going as it had so uh when the news came out that that Bore and Flash uh had picked it up it it wasn't a surprise because of how uh they were with the promotion I know that they had really sort of built themselves and were really popular with the fan base there um, so I was glad to see it, but it wasn't a great shock when it was announced that they had picked it up, where especially Boar, who had such, uh, like, obviously he ran Dragon Pro and things like that. So he had a, um, a basis in that already. So, uh, it, it was obviously a great, great thing to see that someone was keeping it going. Um, but I always kind of felt like there was someone that wasn't going to let it go. It's just who had the time to really dedicate to it really. Yeah. And that was coming off like a boom where everybody was saying there's a boom period in British mm-hmm. wrestling. Um, yeah. Everyone was saying it's the hottest scene in mm-hmm. professional wrestling. And to some degree, I still think that that is true in terms of how successful companies are being in with independent, um, like the independent companies and what sort of fan base they're bringing in. Mm-hmm. That being said, when NXT UK came in and it took quite a lot, it signed a lot of the guys to WWE and mm-hmm. to me... I, I was all for that. I was really happy for that because it's one seeing all these people, like you mentioned earlier, Liguero and Zach, mm-hmm. being able to go in and like achieve their dream of wrestling for WWE, and it mm-hmm. also created a lot more space for other people that may not have been getting as many bookings to now mm-hmm. step up because there's that space. Sure. What's What's your thoughts when you hear people say British wrestling is dead? Um. I laugh at such an absurd statement. <laughs> yeah. um, it's such a throwaway comment that people who don't really understand the inner workings of the business aspect of wrestling, it's just something that they just throw out there because they've heard it and they think that's what they should be saying with regards to it. Yeah. Um, with regards to like the boom period type thing, I've had a lot of conversations with James Mason about, about this, like spending time with people like him is always a massive eye opener because he's from a different generation. Him and him and Doug Williams are from a different generation than what we are, and what we know. And so when I used to go on these journeys with, with James or I'm at shows with, with Doug, and talk about the boom period, they laugh because they don't see it as a boom period at all. In that 
in their day when they were busiest and there was an actual boom period, they were wrestling once every night, sometimes twice yeah. a day. That's that's what their idea of a boom period is. And again, like context is king in that it, it's a boom period for our generation, but it isn't really a boom period at all uh, because of the way that the business has changed. So when when James laughs uh, at us saying that there's a, a boom period, it, it's because he knows what an actual boom period really is. And this is just sort of like almost like a uh, an influx. But again, I don't know if with the way that the business has changed and the way that the product is now is if we could ever go back to that and whether that demand is there for it you know the uk isn't the biggest place in the world uh, america is probably the, the the better place where it's such an expanse of you know uh, cities where you can get away with wrestling every night because you don't overexpose your products but there's only so many times you can go back to a, a town or a city with a product in a set period of time before the crowds start dwindling off just because of the way that, that wrestling is positioned. But, but as I, as I was saying, um, uh, there, there for our generation, there is a boom period, uh, or at least there was before the, the whole uh, coronavirus things put an end to everything. There, there was because I know the doldrums of 2008 to 2012, where if you got 50 people, in a venue that was wrestlemania and it was hard you know like there were some promotions going around about that time like i think one pw were doing big ice rinks and things like that i seem to remember that and fwa was still quite popular yeah. and um, they did okay in that period of time because they had built that loyal fan base but if you were a new person trying to get a foothold in the british wrestling scene uh and you were trying to work the you know the little shows to get get noticed and things like that as i say like the worst crowd i ever worked in front of was seven people and that wasn't just once and it was bad and it was re it was very very bad so for for myself and my own perspective going to these shows now where you consistently get a few hundred people um and they're running regularly you know they've got shows during the week and you know like sold out shows and friday saturday sundays and i could make an actual living off of just wrestling in my head uh, because of the way that i've seen wrestling it is a boom period but when you put it into context of other people and what they've done it, it isn't so to speak but when people say british wrestling is dead well there was once upon a time where these people who have now been signed to WWE and to other places in the world uh, where they were trying to get their name out there and trying to get a foothold in the British wrestling scene and trying to get noticed themselves. And it's a conveyor belt. They're okay. They've been signed, but that doesn't immediately mean that there isn't anyone else out there who can now step up and take that spotlight for themselves. Um, and that's how it was. And that's how we got to this point in wrestling. And that's how it will continue. The problem with the the the, the sign that, that, that wrestling did die is that a lot of the people who were the, the masters of their craft took their skills and they went away and didn't give anything back to us. And that's why it died. And that's why there was such a, a thin amount of talent once upon a time. And again, this is a conversation that I've had with, with Doug Williams in that trying to extract knowledge from 
such a, a, a thin amount of of people trying to give it back meant that you know like it just dipped right down and there was that meant that the there wasn't a massive amount of 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 big talent out there and that's why people like like doug and yeah, johnny storm and jody fleisch and those people they really stood out was because there just really wasn't that mass amount of talent out there like there is now with with the with the rise of training schools and the quality of training schools in the country there is i go around to all these shows and watch the show and there are so many talented people out there now it's like unreal the amount of talent out there now so for anyone to say that british wrestling is dead because of a handful of people have been signed to contracts and are now now not allowed to work certain shows um is is baffling and again it's it's a throwaway comment that people who don't really understand the nature of the business just say because it, they think they makes them sound clever yeah no i 100 percent agree and I want to go back to you saying, like wrestling in front of six or seven people. Mm-hmm. How do you cope with that? Like, <laughs> what goes through your head, and like, how do you feel during that? Because on this one, especially with some of the questions later, it will be mm-hmm. around a lot of like your stuff with Reach and their academy mm-hmm. and things like that. So, mm-hmm. for those that maybe just breaking into the business, just listening, and mm-hmm. touch wood, they don't have to do it in front of seven people, but. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Uh, at the time, like maybe I would, I would be different now with like a decade's worth of experience under my belt since then. But like back then, you just feel a bit embarrassed, and you know, like our job is to entertain a crowd and to take them on a journey. That, that's what our job as wrestlers are. We're just basically live action theatre, really, and when you don't have a crowd to perform in front of, it almost makes it redundant, so to speak. Um, but when you get out there and there's seven people and it's just silence and you, even at your best work, you can't, you know, like how loud can you get seven people? You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's an impossible task. And so you just get out there and you feel a bit embarrassed and all you can do is just, do your best because a lot of the time you feed off the adrenaline of the crowd and when you've got them and it it sort of just it get it gets you going you get in the, the flow but all you can do is give them the best that you can do because at the same time those people have paid for their you know their ticket money so you just go out and do what you can and just give them the best match that you can do in the situation and but it is it's just one of those things where you just feel a little bit embarrassed and a little bit uh exposed so to speak because uh, yeah. when you're in, you know, like in front of a crowd of people, like a few hundred, you don't really notice. When there's seven people there, it just feels like almost like they're just critiquing you. Almost, if, if, it's a very <laughs> odd experience. That's that's how I always felt. Just you know, and just you don't get the reactions you want, so it almost becomes a redundant task because yeah. you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. So with NXT UK, like. You ended up, again, Plymouth Pavilion. Mm-hmm. You get to wrestle for WWE um, mm-hmm. in your hometown. Mm-hmm. You wrestled a dark match beating Saxon Huxley, and then you also mm-hmm. faced Fabian Eichner for the television show. Mm-hmm. How did that first come about? Like, Who was it that contacted you from WWE? Um, the same, look, we want, to, we want to use you. Have you previously had any tryouts with them? or? Mm-hmm. Um, 
I've my only ever interaction with WWE was those two shows. Um, how it all came about was I uh, I was doing the five star stuff and uh, WWE. I know I again it's it's something that people who don't really understand the business will will say, but WWE watches everything. Oh yes. WWE have their their fingers in pies and they are watching absolutely everything because it is in their best interests to sign up all of the best talent that they can find. So they were watching every second of that five-star wrestling. Uh, and it's no surprise that so many of those guys got signed up to stuff. I know some of them had done like, was it World of Sport? And, yeah. Um, and other stuff previously. But they were watching that because effectively it was like a free tryout for them. They can watch... They can watch that. They can pick people and they're like, okay, we'll keep tabs on him or we'll get in contact with him. And so uh, I remember I was doing the five-star stuff and I was also doing my normal bookings. And I did a show for James Mason down here in the South. And I was working with Joel and uh, Steve Gray, the old world of sport wrestler. Yeah. Yeah. He was the referee and I, Steve Gray, an amazing talent. I know that, that Joel is a, a, a massive fan of his. I was a fa- I am a fan of his. And he was our referee, so it was a very surreal experience. <laughs> and me and Joel had a match, and I remember we came back, and Steve was really putting over how much he enjoyed the match and how greatly he thought it was. And um, you know, I thanked him for anything and uh, didn't think much of it. And then the next day, I was on a show with Johnny Kidd, um, another world of sport legend. And he said that he had had a conversation with Steve about a match I'd had the night before with Joel and how much he had uh, really, uh, really put it over and enjoyed it. And I thanked Johnny for his kind words and that he would even, you know, like make, make that conversation or anything like that. I was very humbled by it. And then just before we left at the end of the show, Johnny came up to me and said, is it all right if I take your contact details down? Didn't think anything of it because Johnny could be friendly like that. So I gave him my email address and my phone number and didn't think anything of it. A couple of weeks later, uh, it was the day that the five-star announcement went out to say that the company was closing and liquidated or whatever. Yeah. And so it was a bit of a down day because I knew that 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 was my Thursday bookings all dried up and that was the end of the run there. And I'd been to the gym and it was about half past nine, ten o'clock at night and I was at home uh, just making some dinner, sat down at home and I get a phone call and uh, I, like many people who are can be antisocial at times, I don't <laughs> like picking up the phone to numbers I don't necessarily know. Uh, no. And it, I picked up my phone, put it down and then picked it back up again because it said Stanford, Connecticut on it. And if you are a wrestling fan, then you'll know what company has an office in Stamford, Connecticut. Um, and so I answered it, and it was William Regal. And he uh, said that he'd got his contact details from Johnny Kidd, and Johnny Kidd had made a, a big recommendation. Uh, he had seen my work on Five Star Wrestling, um, and he was just waiting for because he didn't know what the contract situation was with Five Star, and he didn't want to be in breach of anything. So he just wanted to touch base with me now that he knew that the company was folding and if I would be interested in doing any work for WWE. And that's that's how it all came about. So 
if I hadn't have done the the five star stuff, then I wouldn't have had that opportunity. Uh, and then if I hadn't have done that match with Joel with Steve Gray as the referee, and then done the match with Johnny the next day and him get take my details because it turned out that Johnny was the one that passed on my details to William Regal. Um, yeah. Then I don't know how much we would have got round to that point. I'll imagine it probably would have got there at some point, but without without Johnny Kidd and Steve Gray these two world of sport legends then uh you know that they greased the wheel so to speak and they made it all happen for me so i'm always very thankful for for like for what they did and i'm always thank them whenever i see them and so so yeah so obviously rigo asked me if i would be interested in in doing anything with them and of of course the answer was yes because i'd been working up to that point um and he said that i needed to just send a uh, like, almost like a CV just for their files over yeah. to an email address. Uh, he emailed all the details I needed to do and then they would be in touch and didn't hear anything for months at that point. And then they announced the next lot of shows that they would be taping at and Plymouth was was on them. And then a couple of days later, I get an email from Mr. Eagle and he had copied in the, the, the people who ran the show and he said that he just... Uh, uh, this will be one of the, uh, the, the the talent to be included on the show, please. And just sort of went from there, just all the organization and everything that I needed to do. And that's how it all sort of came to be, really. Yeah. So how was the day for you then? Um, again, you've had the TV experience with Five Star, but nothing's mm-hmm. like TV and wrestling than WWE. Mm-hmm. So what was the whole like day like for you? Well, weekend yeah no it was it was pretty in, intense to be honest um i've always been a part of uh, a, sh- a show which is a wrestling show first and if it's anything else it's secondary but the the first thing i took away from my nxt experience was that it very much is produced as a tv show which has wrestling uh because of how specific everything is done um but yeah just you know you know like you you told to turn up at a certain time and you have to dress the correct way and just make sure you're all ready for everything so i was you know like you're so nervous when it's when it's your first interaction with a company you know like a lot of people get tryouts and they get to meet people beforehand but this is literally me walking into a building for the first day and i have no clue what they actually want me to do because effectively on their thing was they never actually said anything about wrestling they said please turn up um, you have to wear a suit on arrival and please bring some smart trousers and a polo shirt for if you're needed to do security or ushering or anything like that. That's all they told me. They didn't say anything yeah. about wrestling or anything like that. Just as a professional, you always take your bag and you always have your <laughs> gear with you um, because that's what you do. So I just remember turning up on a little early in the time that they wanted me there. I saw obviously a lot of the people who I'm friends with so i went around and shook hands said hello introduced myself to a few people uh had to wait for the production meeting to end and uh, uh glenn came out and he was like he came, he came straight out and he was just uh have you got any music like, uh, i've got a usb with the music i use and he's like okay you need to give it to this guy so that he can match it up with someone uh, something that we have on our own files because we have to we have to use our own uh copyrighted music so i was Okay, so in my head now, everything's going a million miles an hour because I've gone from probably just doing security to you're wrestling tonight. <laughs> uh, so he was like, yeah, you'll be, you'll be doing a dark match today. Uh, so go and 
you just need to get your music over to this guy. Then you need to go and do your medical stuff and then come back. We'll pay you up with your, uh, uh, the guy that you'll be working with and then your agent. And then we'll go from there. So uh, um, immediately everything's going a million miles an hour and then you're, you're running around and then like almost flattened Shawn Michaels backstage. I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was in such a rush to go and get my music for my bag and I was killed him, which uh, I imagine would have, you know, uh, <laughs> got a tell, brownie tell points over there. But yeah, yeah it, was, it was incredible. How did you nearly kill him? I, I want to know more of that like, encounter. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so the the production office was um, just along this corridor, and so I was there. Glenn was there. He told me the information that I needed to to, to know. So my my bag was in the the, the changing rooms down the other end of the building. So I thought, right, okay, here I, go. I need to, I need to get on this. So I just start power walking down this corridor that has lots of like corners and bends. And I just turn this this corner. And he was there just sort of looking down at his phone, just sort of moseying along. So I turned a corner just as he's about to. So I almost just flattened him on the, on the corner. So, and, uh, <laughs> I, uh, not, not to disparage him, but he, I went, I was quite a lot taller than him. So, uh, I almost just almost killed him just, and then he said something which I don't really remember because I was just so in shock that I'd always just killed Shawn Michaels. He said something like, Oh, you got somewhere to be kid or something like that. <laughs> and I was sort of managed to mumble out something about music and then carry on. So, but yeah, I almost killed Shawn Michaels. <laughs> well, that's an experience in itself. So, yeah, who, who was your agent for the Saxon Huxley match? Uh, my agent was uh, Matt Bloom, A Train. Okay, yeah. Um, and so yeah, so I went and did all my medical stuff. Um, went and got changed into some some just athletic gear because you got to go down to the ring. It's got to be all clean, and you got to warm up and and, and run through stuff. And, um, but yeah, effectively, that was just okay. You've got four minutes, four minutes. Just get the crowd warmed up, really. Um, what could you really do in four minutes? So, <laughs> you know, so just went went and uh, spoke to the agent, asked him for what 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 do you think would be best, and he just sort of threw out some ideas. Me and Saxon put some stuff down. Um, as you're the as you're the enhancement guy, so to speak, you're the talent that's brought in yeah. for tryouts. You know, like you're you're supposed to be the one going under, uh, getting pinned, putting the guy over, and so that was all planned. Uh, the agent goes away with the plan and just gets it all okay because they don't want any duplication of moves or spots or things yeah. like that. Um, uh, and then got all ready and then it was just basically just waiting you get you get have to go up to gorilla at a certain time and just get told your cues and everything and i just remember uh because for some reason it seemed to get lost in communication that the reason i was there was because it was my hometown and that's why i was getting the tryout they just thought i was just there because i was just a random guy getting the tryout <laughs> and so they hadn't been clued up that i was a hometown boy there and obviously i've been playing my trade there for a long time and built up a very loyal fan base in the southwest and so i'm there in position the announcer goes out says you know like thanks for thanks for coming you know like we're just going to have a, a quick dark match just to get you guys all warmed up do you, do you want to see your first match and just it basically just set the tone really for what they what they normally do to, yeah. rather than a cold start and um 
they had found some music for me and they had made a, 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 a Tron. So I'm just there with my mask on, just, you know, trying to keep the nerves down. Uh, you've got Triple H and Shawn Michaels sat next to me with headsets because they're watching all the 12 screens just to, to cue the cameras around. So, yeah. so it's, it's a pretty amazing experience. And then they music hits, it's generic music, so no one knows what it is. And then the Tron goes up with my name and the place went mental. Like it was <laughs> like that, that pop will live with me forever because of how big it was. And I just remember like loudest like, of the weekend, probably uh, it was second loudest um, only to Triple H and Shawn Michaels who came out on an ad, ad break. <laughs> and I don't know why they did that. But, um, <laughs> to, to top but, you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I just remember that pop went up and I just remember looking back because the, the way that they was all set up is that everyone was behind me before you yeah. go up and around the corner. And so uh, the pop goes and like all the hairs stand up on my arms and everything. Because um, I expected people to know who I was, but not get that reaction whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and so immediately, like just overcome with sort of emotion and everything because of how special you know this is going to be. And I just took a look over my shoulder and I just remember sean and triple h's face looking at me and then Sh triple h stood up and just goes who the fuck is this kid now i'm sorry if you're not allowed swearing you'll have to beep that out but no, that's, that's exactly fine, what that's he said <laughs> that's exactly what he said and just remember some people laughing in the background um and then they were like you gotta go and then went and then the second pop was bigger because it was like the realization that i had got to that stage because yeah. it's all good to have like a name go up and everyone's reacting when you actually see the guy go up and it got the second pop, which was bigger than the first. And that was um, something that, you know, like I'm grateful for. And that, that's a, a huge thing for my career and uh, will live with me um, uh, for the rest of my life, really. And I just remember going out there and I remember the ring announcer was in the middle of the ring. Uh, and the pop and he was just sort of letting it all sort of play out. And he was like, you're kind of over, aren't you? Like, yeah, that's um, <laughs> just where I'm from. And so uh, I remember we did the first part of our match, which, you know, obviously in a four-minute match is not all that much. And I remember Saxon put me in, like, some kind of chin lock. Yeah. And the referee leans in and says, Eddie's got to go over. Um, so I need to sort of think on my feet now because the, the finish has changed. Call it in the ring. Yeah, so... Uh, as as it works is that usually the heel leads and so i was waiting for saxon to call moves to me call something to me and it wasn't coming and i don't yeah. i don't know why uh and then i just said um because he's using a powerbomb finish at the time and he went for a powerbomb uh the the finish was supposed to be the powerbomb so we just just said uh i'll just roll down your back scoreboy for the powerbomb and so we got there and it got got the reaction it needed to and i come back and come back through the curtain and triple h stood there with his hands on his hips kind of like if you were like when you're at school and you've you've done something wrong and your mum's yeah. waiting for you it was that and so i thought i'd done something really wrong uh and i come in and he comes up to me and he's like are you the hometown boy like, yes sir and he's no one told me. I'm like, oh no, that's why I'm here, sir. And he's like, he held his held his hand out and said, "Well done, you did a good job. Um, you know, great job thinking on your feet." And um, got some feedback from him and and Shawn Michaels, which was again surreal. And go up to Matt Bloom and just asked, and he shook my hand and went and asked all the trainers for their thoughts, and yeah. um, uh, obviously left a good impression. 
And then at the end of the day, went to the agent's office, asked what they wanted me to do for the next day because I, it wasn't confirmed to be two days. And yeah, just they said they were very happy with me and that uh, I turned a few heads and they would be rewriting the show tomorrow to um, to include me. And so get there oh. uh, an hour early so I could do pictures and promos and things. And um, and that all came about. And originally I was supposed to be working Joseph Connors, but uh, again, um, Joel had messaged and asked how everything was. Uh, and one of the ideas was for me to go uh, go against Fabian and Joel was good friends with Fabian and uh, yeah. they'd worked a lot for All Star. Um, I think Joel had messaged Fabian and just said that I was a good kid and that, uh, uh, that I, I would do well. And um, so the next day I was put in with Fabian and we were originally given like three or four minutes. It was just supposed to be a total squash. Uh, but Fabian, to his credit, said that he. Uh, would gain more from beating someone because we were similar size. So he would gain more if I actually put up a fight and yeah. uh, uh, wanted to get us more. So we managed to go to our agent, which was, uh, we had two, Johnny Moss and, and Matt Bloom. Yeah. And he managed to get seven minutes instead of four. And they, they limit the amount of bumps you take. They're very high on like preserving people's bodies and CTE type stuff now. Yeah. So you, you're like, this guy's not allowed to bump or this guy's only allowed to take this many bumps and that. And so, you know, they managed to, he managed to go to bat for me and get me some offense and some stuff. And I thank him massively for that because if otherwise it would have just been me being up uh, for nothing, but he let me get some stuff in, in my hometown. And, um, but yeah, just, you know, I was grateful for the opportunity and very happy that uh, I had done so much in one weekend in my first interaction with WWE. Yeah, man. Um, so you mentioned you got some like advice from Triple H and uh, Shawn Michaels. What sort of feedback was that? Um, really, it was just uh, uh, it, in Shawn's own words, he says that he sees it a lot when guys first come from indies into WWE, and that's that we uh, because of the nature of the shows that we do is we pander a lot to crowds. You know, like we. Yeah. We, we talk to people and uh, we interact with the crowd a lot more. He said that if they want it to be treated more as a real fight. So, you know, in a real fight, you would just be on each other all the time uh, rather than, you know, like pandering to crowds. You know, like uh, I, I guess an example would be like someone like Hulk Hogan or something like that, where you literally look out to crowds and you do stuff and interact with them and that type of thing. What they want to get to is more of the sport of wrestling. So it was more um, rather than look out to the crowd for stuff, treat it as if it was a real fight and, and, and really sort of up the intensity. And that, that was it really. They said I had good fundamentals and footwork and uh, they could see that I spent a lot of time honing my craft. It's just the little bits, the little bits that make guys WWE superstars rather than yeah. indie indie guys, you know. You just go and get refined. Have you had any contact with them since? Uh, yeah, a um, little bit. Uh, it's mainly, uh, you know, they're, they're looking at so many people. Like, their response, you know, like, we, we do t touch base now and again just to yeah. make sure every, everything is uh, still okay, you know, the door's still open. And really, they said, we know you, we know 
we know where you are. Uh, when something comes up for you, we'll be in touch. And I think uh, in talking to a few people about it, it, it is very much uh, a lot with a lot of these younger people in the you know early twenties. They've got so much time to be molded by WWE and, yeah. and so much time to to give back. Uh, I'm 34, so. Um, the the timeline is shorter for me, you know, what they can get out of me in terms of longevity. And so I think what they look at someone like myself is, is I'm kind of a, a plug and play type thing. They can just insert me somewhere and off I go. Whereas with some of these younger people, you know, they can, they can mold them to how they want them to be and, and build them to, to what they want their career to look like, so to speak. So, so, I think that's how they look at me. They don't. They want to, don't want to bring me in and spend years trying to make me something different. They see what I am, and they will find a place to slot me in somewhere. But it's very much a case of waiting for that moment to come and just uh, right place, right time, I guess. But that I, they know I'm there and uh, just waiting for something to come up. Yeah. Um, so, how does it feel for you, like having something? that used to be so difficult for people to get and so unattainable to be on your doorstep now. It is, it is surreal. And I, uh, I will say that I am a little probably jealous is the right word of for people who are breaking into the business. Now, the young kids now the the opportunity that they have, I hope they realize how good they have it because there was once upon a time where WWE would tour the UK and they yeah. would come here and you would hope that you got recommended for a tryout and you would get noticed that way. And that was your only avenue to make a living with WWE. I just really hope that the the, the, the people that are breaking in today um, appreciate how good they have it because this, this wasn't how it always was. There wasn't a brand just specifically built for us. Yeah. So, you know, like don't don't take it easy. Like, there's so many people, so many people just uh, trying to get to those few spots that are being offered to them. You know, and uh, the competition just makes it all better. Just, but but yeah, like I am jealous of the opportunity they have. Like, I wish when I was breaking in at the age of 22 that that all these avenues were available to me then is, you know, but it is what it is. You can't go back and change that. But I just hope that these, these kids realize how good they've got it and take full advantage of it. No, hundred percent. But it's nothing to take away from like your journey. Like you said, NXT UK, you got the loudest pop of the night mm. um, from in-ring competitors. So, and that's something that will always stay with you. The fact that Triple H is still coming like, holy shit, who the fuck's this guy? Um, <laughs> So, moving on with wrestling in the Plymouth area. Obviously, there mm -hmm. was, uh, I think it was PWA um, that you were, again, a massive part of. You even faced mm -hmm. Drew Galloway for the Impact World Championship on the 7th mm -hmm. anniversary. How was that experience against Drew? Uh, it was an incredible experience. Um, that, that match with Drew was my first proper test of uh, a singles match against someone who had like a, a caliber for, from somewhere like WWE. It was my birth. It was like my first big challenge of, 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 my, of, of my career really. Somebody and so, still in his prime and yeah, hundred percent. And, you know, he's coming in with, with 
a prominent role. He's a, a champion, a, a huge promotion, which at the time, when you look back on it, TNA at the time was a big promotion. You know, like uh, when you compare their, their figures to, to like your NXTs and your AWs yeah, yeah. now, and they were doing like like 2 million like viewers or something like that, or two point viewing figures or whatever it was. You know, like there's promotions that, you know, like... AEW and NXT and even WWE sometimes their their viewing figures are terrible. So when you look at it back now, I'm sure there's 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 promotions that wish they had what TNA had at the time. <laughs> so um, so for me, like that was my first big test, and I just remember going out there and just it was kind of a sink or swim moment, and you just have to believe that you belong. Um, and again went out there and had a good match and he was really happy with it. I know that he was ill at the time. He had like a flu. And I just remember I had to pick him up from Bristol airport on my way from Swindon down to Plymouth. And he was so ill. He was sort of in and out of sleep and, and he just kept saying, I'll oh, look after me today. I'm going to need it, which is a weird thing to say that the current WWE champion who, you know, main event in WrestleMania or whatever said to you once upon a time. So, um, but yeah, just going out there and keeping up with him and coming back and him having such good feedback and everything was was massive for me. And uh, it's one of those things where you take away, I do belong at the situation and you take that confidence from it because you have to test yourself against those people and just know what your standard is. And that was one of the moments for me that really sort of set me on my path that no, I, I do belong in this echelon of people and you just have to believe in yourself and just know that you belong with those people and just pushes you on to, to do more. Yeah, hundred percent. So what was your reaction when that company had closed its doors? Uh, it's again, company on your doorstep and then, Jason King, Grayson Reeves, they come to you with, hey, this is Reach Wrestling, we're going to be starting up again. What was your initial reaction to that? Um, I wasn't shocked when PWA folded because I had seen the decline of it for a while. Um, when I first started wrestling, there wasn't a promotion in, in Plymouth and it had been started by John Harding. Uh, and after a couple of years, I remember coming home uh, for my birthday one November and there was a show on while I happened to be back and I remember going and Joel was on with, with PJ Jones and Nick Riley and I remember go, like dropping John a message he's like is it alright if I pop along and just have a watch and he said yeah absolutely uh, came in and I watched the show and went backstage afterwards and said hi to people and uh, just said to him uh, I really want to, to help you here you know I'm from here and if you, if you need anything from me, just let me know. So I started my relationship working with PWA from that moment um, with John. And I remember that uh, that hit a difficult time. And then that was picked up by a guy called Marson, who was a club promoter. And he actually managed to really sort of put it back on the straight and narrow. And that's how the the school of creative creative arts venue was found because he he found it and he started running the shows there and uh he i can't remember what he he just he wanted out i can't remember what, if, if it was to relocate or something like that but i remember he sold it and the guy who picked it up didn't really know what to do with it and that's when it started to decline again and 
uh, it was quite sad really because you know when you're proud of your hometown you want the wrestling from that area to be good yeah uh, and and uh, a, a good indication of, of the british wrestling scene and so it started to decline and so when they closed their doors uh i wasn't shocked but i was a bit disappointed because uh, you know it was somewhere to work and i i just wanted the uh, the the scene in in the area to be good um uh, a little known fact was uh, i remember going back for a training session and grayson reeves was there and he was working his butt off and at the end he came up to me and asked me for some advice and i just passed on the same knowledge that joel gave me and that's that you, if you want to be good at what you do you cannot do it here um you need to go somewhere else and learn. So I gave him some contact numbers and he ended up going to WAW for, I think like a year and a half or two years or something. And I remember getting a message from him out of the blue and he was like, do you still live in Swindon? I was like, yeah. Um, and he was like, Oh, I'm going to move there next week. Uh, do you want to go to the gym together or something like that? And so I, I didn't really know them before that, but yeah, so he ended up moving to Swindon. And so we, got to know each other a bit then and started talking a little bit more. And I remember saying to him about how, you know, like when I moved back to Plymouth, because it, it really wasn't possible from where I was that, you know, like I, I would really want to run like a proper training school or a proper promotion uh, that, that would be in line with the, 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 the British wrestling scene really, because it's so sparse. There are so, so few promotions, especially in comparison to the concentration of promotions in the rest of the UK. Yeah. Um, and so from there, I think the sort of the ball of the idea sort of bloomed from there because Plymouth has such a big catchment area that I don't think people could just go without not having it. And then next thing I know, Matt messaged me or sorry, Grayson messaged me and it's, it's like him and Jason were planning on running a show. And so would I be interested in working for him? Uh, and he said that it didn't really make any sense to run a show in Plymouth without me being involved, which, you know, again, is humbling and I take as a compliment. And I said, yeah, absolutely. And it didn't, it wasn't really any more than just uh, an idea of keeping wrestling tickling, ticking along at the time. And uh, it's obviously, in the right hands because it really has blossomed into something very special down there yeah no 100 percent. and it's again it wouldn't be right without having yourself and even without having joel and you mm -hmm. two have been such a cornerstone for reach and mm -hmm. you mentioned it's blossoming like just in two years it's become it's incredible it was supposed mm -hmm. to be 728 days later in a venue you mentioned on part one in the Plymouth mm -hmm. Guild Hall of where you wanted to wrestle. Yeah. And although because of coronavirus at the moment, that's been postponed. Mm -hmm. What's your thoughts on the company from getting from, there's no wrestling scene in Plymouth, them starting up two years later, they're running your essentially dream venue in the UK. Um, yeah. I mean, again, they've done it properly. They've started small and they've, you know building blocks and everything uh but they've they've also done it right because wrestling to me is all about telling a story and engaging an audience uh you can have amazing matches but that doesn't draw necessarily draw people back to the next show you can have six amazing matches but you know like what what does that mean what does that mean to the next thing and the thing that that grayson and kingy have been so good at is 
one engaging us in what we want to do with their ideas and two really sort of knuckling down into storytelling which is what they've done so well there and that's what's really sort of built it because not not a lot of promotions really focus on the storytelling aspect of things yeah uh going from show to show and what that show means and what this next show means and keeping people guessing so that they have to come to the next one and that's and and again like matt and uh matt and kingy have been great in that they engage us because they they know that a lot of us um you know some of us like uh nick riley joel myself pj we've been wrestling for over a decade and uh, Joel, fifteen years or whatever, and we ha- we've seen what works places. We have our own ideas, and we um, we we have our own take on certain things. So when they say like we have this idea, uh, how can we sort of make this work? And we uh, we sit down and we're like, well, you know, like we have this idea, it turns into that one, and it runs and it runs. And then a lot of people realize that this whole storyline arc has been planned out from the very beginning and it's been meant to play out for two years straight. Um, and that's what they've been very good at. The patience of building a storyline where most people would have just given up or just, Oh, I can't be bothered with that. Let's just move on and just one and done, or this, this means this and that's done now. Instead, what they've really done is focus on making people care about the players in the roles you know, like they could have just had me as as Plymouth and Eddie Ryan just wrestling each show and it meaning nothing. But when you stack the odds and uh, you know, like put the twists and the curves and uh, in in the road, so to speak, but then in integrate stuff that has been building in the background that people haven't been paying attention to, and um, immediately it makes for a very intriguing product and and that's what they've been very good at and it's you know like you can't deny that it hasn't because it's been building for a long time and i you know a lot of us guys like to see the feedback of the shows you know like we do watch message chats and things like that just to see what people are saying and thinking and you know like it is it is great to see that what you the idea that you've had has played out exactly how you wanted it all to play out and it all actually builds to a to an actual moment at some point yeah, 100%. And I think that's why um, when first coming across Reach, the only reason was from uh, another podcaster at the time. He doesn't do as much wrestling now, but his football manager was Omega Luke, who's actually mm-hmm. at the Reach Academy. And we'd met up at Progress, and he was just telling me all about how good Reach is, essentially. So mm-hmm. I thought I'd check it out. And I think a reason why, like you said, it's the storylines for mm-hmm. to watch amazing match after amazing match. There's 10, 20, 30 companies around the world where you can mm-hmm. go onto their demand and they'll be there. But it's it's like you said, it's the stories. And I, f- I see a lot of similarities from Reach with uh, New Generation Wrestling, which is actually my hometown um, mm-hmm. one in Hull with mm-hmm. Alex Shane and stuff. And just for those that are listening, um, you can check out Reach on your fight site. It's part of the British Wrestling uh, subscription on there. But your first match, Eddie, it was against Charlie Sterling. Mm-hmm. And then, thing, again, those stories, it's come full circle, where 728 mm-hmm. days later, he and Jason King uh, screwed you out of the title. Mm-hmm. So I've actually got a message from Jason. I'm, I reached out to a few different people in Reach just saying I was interviewing. And Jason being Jason, it was like... <laughs> 
Um, ask how it felt having Jason King and Charlie rip the title away from him. Yeah, it was, it was rough. Um, you know, like the the journey was there. The journey, the 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 rise and fall of Eddie Ryan, and then the rise, um, and then you finally you finally get over that last hurdle, and then you realise that isn't the last hurdle, and the 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 long the long game is in place. So it it was rough, and it was you know like the fans wanted to enjoy the moment, and uh, they weren't able to in the fullest possible way. And it is a shame that the coronavirus thing is uh, is uh, not meant that we're able to see how that plays out unfortunately as as we would have liked to in July um but but again that's been all planned from the start you know and again credit to to the guys for sticking to it and you know like for the first couple of shows it was just uh, let's see how it goes so but then after that once we realized how good it was going to be it's it's just it's, it's all been mapped out and the, the journey's been there and uh, full credit to, to to the guys to build the story and and to stick with it and 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 to make it mean as much as it has. But yeah, just I think I think f- not not just so much for myself, but the fans, the, you know, like the, who stuck with it, they'd seen the journey through, and then to have it snatched away from them as well. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was rough for everybody, but uh, but for the greater good. Yeah, um, and I'm sure it'll come around. The Guild Hall will come around again, and mm-hmm. it's just a testament to how big the Guild Hall really is. For those of you listening, um, mm-hmm. if you've listened to my From the Ground Up series, you're probably going to be thinking, "Jesus Christ, Kurt, shut up about this show." Um, <laughs> but if you haven't, like the Guild Hall, it was going to be the largest independent wrestling show in the southwest of England, the largest show outside of WWE, just two years into the company's inception, mm-hmm. and that itself was is incredible it's why i was supposed to have been coming down for the show and i don't drive trains are about 300 pounds to plymouth mm, from Hull. Yep. so i was going to be doing like a 23 and a half hour like round trip essentially 684 miles Oof. The, the coach was i think 11 hour 50 on the way there and 11 hour 15 on the way back <laughs> um mm. so whenever that's up like i'll be there and it's like you mentioned, it's just the storytelling that's gripping. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned your rise and fall, and you was going undefeated, 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 which winning every match by one where, where you've had a time limit draw with Joel Redman. Mm-hmm. And then the fall starts when you lose to Joel, mm-hmm. you've lost to David Starr, and mm-hmm. then you manage to get the win against Joel and start building your way back up. Yeah. How does it feel having that saga with Joel in your hometown? Um, I think what three matches and a tag team match. Mm. It's always as I've always said, Joel is a benchmark, and he always will be. He sets a standard, and to get in there with him, and not only just wrestling, but to tell that story is is great because people people can 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 see it they can see the story you know like he he is he should be champion of so many places because of everything that he stands for you know like he's in incredible shape his work is incredible he he should be the benchmark and that's that's why i remember when matt and uh matt and kingy were first putting the ideas together for the shows they were like oh yeah it makes sense for you to be champion and i said yeah but not straight away because Otherwise, you've just given it all away. 
you know, like yeah. who else are we using? And you know, obviously, obviously the names came out, and all, like, we all unanimous, unanimously agreed that Joel should be the one because he sets the standards. So for me to go in there uh, and wrestle Joel and tell different stories in each one and get those over and have people stick with it and you know, like make them entertaining in their own ways. Um, it's always it's always good and it's always you know it's always great to get in the room with Joel anyway. But when when you're you're on board with him and you're out throwing these ideas around and how do we make this in, intriguing and how do we keep the interest of people and make each one different, um, you know, and that's when he really sort of knuckles down to his NXT experience and, and his 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 experience from wrestling all over the world and just that's when I start learning, but then I start putting ideas to him and then that's, that's when you create magic really. Yeah. Uh, what's your thoughts on how the reach Academy has been going? Like in what it's been around for about one year, mm-hmm. they've continuously been bleeding in um, talent. You've had what Danny Steele, Carl, Carl Parker, Joey seven, LA mm-hmm. Taylor, Aurora. Mm-hmm. How does it feel where again, we've spoke about lack of options and stuff for yourself, but you're being part of a company in your hometown that's doing things right about these uh, around these young people uh, mm-hmm. and these young wrestlers. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, again, they have done it entirely right. You know, they started off to see what the the fan base was there, and you know, they've got a ring. There's so many that back when I started, there were so many places that just had mats instead of a ring, which I, I don't really understand how you can learn how to wrestle on mats. So, I don't get it, but um, you know they they got a ring and it was one session a week. But then you know they've just built up to having their own unit and wrestling, having training school multiple times a week, and that can only help them get better because you know the more you do it, the better you get. And uh, but yeah, just you could just see from some of the talent that they've brought through that obviously things are being done right. Um, I whenever I'm back, uh, I know that that the reach would doing uh before shows they were doing uh seminars with people and i i did a couple nick riley's done one and joel's done a couple and yeston's done a couple and so they bring in people to help teach them and they really do their very best for them and it's not just a cash cow where people turn up and and pay and it just (laughs) just churn it out it's they they do have their best interests at heart and really help them knuckle down and uh the only thing that I can say to those those guys now is the next step for them is very much what I did. You know, like the 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 problem with Plymouth is, as much as I love Plymouth and you know I'm proud of my hometown, it's so far out of the way that the rest of the British wrestling scene is a million miles away from it, and promoters yeah. are notor- notoriously tight, and they have to pay your expenses to get somewhere, and if you're an unknown, they, they don't want to pay much money to bring you in. So, so really, the the next that's why I've stayed in Swindon. The next step is, you know, like if you really, if they really want to break out into the next part of their career, is maybe you need to think about going somewhere more central, uh, because the, you know, like once you have that basis of a knowledge uh, of training and your fundamentals are good. The next part is getting on shows and honing your craft by doing shows and supplementing that with a training school. You know, I de- I definitely don't want to encourage all of his trainees to uh, to leave Reach. I don't want to do that. But in terms of their own uh, inv- individual careers, like the next part is getting on shows and really knuckling down on 
on on on their career by by honing their craft by doing shows that's the only way you get better uh, that's yeah. always the advice that i was given take any show you can do as many shows as possible because that's the only place where you learn you can do training matches every day but being in front of a live crowd is what teaches you how to do this job so that, that they they've obviously done something right in that training school but the next step is and this is obviously on on those talented people is the next step of your career is uh, you need to look at how do you get booked more often now by different places with different audiences and yeah. different products. Now, I'm glad you said that. And I think with Jason and Grayson, they're not, you get some companies where they dictate where people can wrestle. It's mm-hmm. like, no, you're not working for them because they're a competitor. It seems like Jason went down to WAW. A, com- mm. a company and school we've mentioned a couple of times in both of these podcasts and took mm. Echo Reed and L.A. Taylor and they trained there and then ended up being on their academy show. So it seems like they're doing the right thing. And mm-hmm. I was speaking to Lauren earlier at L.A. and she said, well, I'm always pestering. Um, she's always pestering you for knowledge. And she was mm-hmm. actually going to message her. But um, she'd like to know like, what you think makes a good wrestler. Um. Makes me a wrestler. Um, uh, versatility makes a good wrestler. Um, because if you have one set routine, um, that means you can only do one thing. And that means that you have to work with someone with versatility in order to look good at what you do. Like... Uh, so you, you just really need to make sure that you don't just stay in your comfort zone, work one style, do your one match and things like that. You need to learn to be versatile so that if you get given uh, someone to work with who is, you know, it, say, for, say for example myself, like if I was told that I had to work with uh, a guy who was um, – you know, like maybe 50 pounds lighter than me and a lot smaller, but tell a compelling story. You have to be able to make that work so the crap, the, so that the fans can believe that that match is believable, you know? And it's the same the other way around. If you're working with someone who is so much bigger than you, like how do you tell that story? Uh, uh, if, if you can work and if you can be versatile, then there's a job for you everywhere. If, if you've got one routine, and people get bored of that routine, then you've got to go and go away and learn a new, new uh, learn a new hold, really. And uh, but what makes a good wrestler is having versatility and you know looking like you're a wrestler and having that believability, not just from the the people who are watching, but you have to believe you belong as well, because there's so many people that you go out and they stand in front of the crowd and it just seems like they're going through the motions and they're playing wrestler. Yeah. You you have to believe that you belong, and you have to make the fans believe that you belong. Um, uh, otherwise, you just end up looking like someone who's just, just as I say, play wrestling, and and that doesn't do anything for anyone. But but yeah, so so yeah, just be versatile. Yeah. Uh, work with as many different people in front of as many different types of crowds as possible, and you learn from every single one of them. Uh, that's why I say 
take as many shows as possible because working a show in Plymouth is going to be work different to working a show, say, up in Hull or anywhere else in the country. Working in front of a crowd in, in France or Belgium is going to be different to working in front of a crowd in, in America. You learn and you learn to adapt quickly because that's the other thing is like uh, another bit of advice I was given was if you go to a restaurant and you order the steak and they give you chicken, you're probably not going to be too happy about it. If you order <laughs> steak, um, that's what you want. Some some wrestling fans want, say, you know, like a more technical style. Some fans want a more entertainment style. When you get out there and you've planned your match and the fans are not reacting to it at all, there's no point you carrying on with that match because um, who are you entertaining then? So you have to learn quickly and go, okay, this is they're not biting for this. We need to change. And that's how being versatile works. Uh, that, and that's it. And, and you can only learn to be versatile by doing this more, by learning and listening to that crowd. But that's what makes a good wrestler, being able to work different styles in front of different crowds and get still get a good reaction for what you're doing. No. Incredible answer, to be honest. And it kind of goes hand in hand with her second and last question was, um, she'd like to know what you think of people debuting in new areas like we've discussed and for new companies and what they can do to stand out or win the crowd over. Mm. Um, I mean, everyone's got to start somewhere. You know, like there's still places that I go to where I'm new to the crowd and... Um, Winning a crowd over again, you have to you have to believe that you belong in that environment. Uh, you have to have the confidence. Like fans can see through more than they th- you think that they can. Um, but yeah, just uh, having solid fundamentals, um, everything you know, like it, make sure your strikes are solid. Make sure your everything is. You can't pick holes in it because fans, even if they they do it without realizing they, they, they do that. But in terms of, of getting over, uh, that's about knowing your audience and that's about knowing, you know, like if, if it's all, if it's all like kids and families, I know that I need to do my effectively my John Cena routine because I am catering to that audience. So I need to make it simple, but I need to make it effective and I need to have maybe four of my best moves in the right spots for them to really sort of pop and, and, and make them care. Whereas if it's in front of a more adult audience, I need to give them slightly more clever routines. So that they're like, okay, okay, this, this guy knows a little bit of, of what he's doing here, you know, and make the, the story of the match more simple. But again, it, it does boil down to if you, if you want to get yourself over, you need to know what your crowd is and you need to give them what it is they're expecting to see. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, like have m- like moves and things that you do that are unique and make you stand out. Like, you know, like just if, if it's the way that you move in the ring or if, if you do something slightly different to other people, like Charlie Sterling's a great example of this because he does things in such a slightly different way. He's a little bit more over the top than other people but people come away from those shows talking about Charlie. Um, yeah. But it, it is just go go back and watch uh, go back and watch some old wrestling that people may able, may not 
now be watching and just find little bits, listen to the crowd and how they react to those things because wrestling is a circle. What's old is new again. And if it worked for one crowd, it'll probably work for another. And that's a, a lot of what I do is is recycled and it, it, it works. It just gets forgotten. Um, yeah. But but yeah, it's just find stuff, make it unique to you so that so that people when they see that they know that it's yours, you know, like like when the Undertaker does the rope walk. That's that's yeah. his thing. You know, it's just that, that's what people want to see. Flair has his own things. You just need to make yourself unique and not just uh replicate what's already out on the scene. Yeah. Uh so Rosie uh, so Aurora taken away from wrestling a little bit. She wanted to know what she go to Skyrim character build. <laughs> um, uh, I I normally pick a a, a, a Breton or a Nord uh, because I like the the two handed heavy weapons. Yeah, uh, and heavy armor. I'm very. I have no finesse whatsoever. Uh, I'll just uh, run at someone and beat them with uh, a two handed weapon until either they die or I die. Yeah, like, that was pretty much me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, there's no finesse in in that at all. Um, but for people who know Skyrim uh, and are uh, privy to that type of thing, uh, will actually notice that my my lion mask is actually a Khajiit mask, uh, which has been painted like a lion. Oh wow! Yeah, if, pay attention to it next time. But the way I found it was I was on Etsy and there was someone who did uh, the live action role play stuff with uh, Skyrim stuff yeah. and the mask is actually a, a Khajiit mask which she painted in a certain way to, to replicate the, the Khajiit uh, but I, she changed the paint pattern to make it look like a lion and that's what my mask is so that's, I'm a big fan of Skyrim yeah no that's that's interesting <laughs> that, to be honest and um, it's just great that something from Etsy comes and it's actually decent. <laughs> yes, yes, I was. I spent a lot of money on it, um, and uh, I was surprised that it came and it was in. It was as good as it was. But yeah, she uh, she did a great job. And uh, funny little like uh, segue here. But I remember the first time I ever used it was in a show. I was wrestling Charlie Sterling, and P- Cody Rhodes was on that show. Uh, and me and Charlie were on second, but the match before us went three minutes for some reason. They cut all their time out and it just killed the crowd because it was so bad. And so <laughs> me and uh, me and Charlie went out and obviously I'd been building my myself in the area for a while. So I was quite popular, but this is the first time I was wearing my mask and it got a really good reaction. And uh, Charlie being Charlie and he likes to, uh, to mess around a lot. So took my mask off, took my cape off, gave it to the guy at ringside who started running it back to put it somewhere safe. And Charlie jumped out of the ring and took the mask off and he was just messing around trying to get some heat and he put it on his head all funny. Uh, <laughs> the, the problem with Charlie is it's, it's like he has ADHD or something. He's like a kid and he doesn't often think about what he's doing sometimes. So he put it on his head and he was acting stupid and then he took it off and for some reason he just threw it in the air, just oh. threw, <laughs> threw, it, threw it in his hair, threw it over his head about 20 foot in the air in this leisure centre. And I was watching this mask go in slow motion and Charlie realized as soon as it left his hand that he'd, he'd fucked up a little bit. And so everything was moving in slow motion and it was like in like a film or something. Everyone's watching this thing fly through the air. No. Just... <laughs> exactly that. And it hit the, hit the ground and it's made a resin. I was waiting for it to explode and it cost like after import tax and stuff because it came from America, like 300 pounds or something. Holy shit. Yeah. And it just 
bounced, bounced, bounced. And uh, I proceeded to kick his ass uh, quite a lot and uh, got back and he apologised for it. And luckily there was nothing more than a little scuff on the forehead. But (laughs) from that moment forward, Charlie was banned from touching the mask. Your anxiety for that match is, I I just want to go check to see if it's okay, but I can't because I've got a job (laughs) to do. Basically. But uh, I proceeded to... uh, to, to give him a receipt a few times through that that match, so he he knew about it and uh, he yeah. he apologised uh, a lot afterwards. But yeah, at the time I was pretty pissed off, as you can imagine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, and another one from Aurora. Uh, the last question from the Reach guys was like, how how many matches or how long did it take you to be confident in your ability to perform solid matches every single time, or is it still something you get nervous about? Um. It would depend on the circumstance now. Uh, it would, like, there are still some, sometimes where I still do get, like, a little nervous about a situation. You know, like, in terms of my own ability, I, I'm quite confident in that. But there are some situations that come up and you do get a little nervous about it. Um, and it's a good feeling to have. It's good butterflies, you know. If you ever don't really care, that's probably when you should think about not doing it anymore. Yeah. You know, um, there are so, you know some circumstances where like it's only a little show or something like that, and it's more fun than nerves. And you go out and you just you know what you need to do, and you, you get the job done, and you have some fun with it. But there are still times where I do get nervous. You know, like when I wrestled Joel, there's still some nerves there because I know how high of a standard he sets, and I don't want to I don't want to fuck up, so to speak. So, um, and certain situations where you know, like there's a lot rightly you know like I, I did a cage match not too long ago for uh, a promoter and obviously it had been the, the build of something they'd put a lot of money into the show and they knew how much they wanted that that match to be good so the nerves were there for that it would just it all depends on the circumstance like if I was put in a match with with someone you know like a big name or something like that there'll always be like the little nerves because you know like there's someone you look up to and you know they have a high standard and you don't want to mess up or look bad or make them look bad and things that yeah. come with that and um but really uh in terms of a, a period of time like um it wasn't until 2016 that i really started getting booked really regularly uh and then i would say probably uh 2017 maybe even the five star stuff which yeah. you know, like that was a, that was a that was a big jump. You know, you're on live TV and having never done it before, and if you mess up, I think that's where I really sort of hit a stride for confidence because I knew I could perform and I knew what I was doing was good, and that's it really. There's no set period of time, but um, everyone's different. But all I can say is, the more matches that you get under your belt and the more that you do this the more comfortable you feel in front of a crowd of people and performing. And once you get your, your routine down, so to speak, like once you know, like your, your character and your moves and like how to structure matches and that type of thing, it all becomes a lot easier. Once you, once you know who you are, once you are, like instead of you pretending to be someone when you go out there, you are someone and you know what you would do in certain situations and just planning less and feeling a crowd more that I think that's when that confidence comes. And sometimes like 
there, there have been times where I've been working with someone that I'd known for a long time and uh, like maybe the crowd's down for a show or, or maybe the crowd are being particularly difficult. There have been times where I've just said to someone that I'm working with, like, should we just call this one all out there? Because what's the worst can happen? If they, if they yeah. don't care about the show now or if there's only 50 people out there, then it's not going to make a whole lot of difference. And that's really where you learn what your skills are you know and again it's a learning experience you know like we've all watched wrestling we all know how a match structure goes and we all know our own moveset so really it should be as simple as just this will be a really good idea here and that that's where you get better because sometimes you can listen to a crowd and you can go okay well they're really biting for this so maybe we should do more of this yeah. and that's when your matches get a lot better um but i i would say probably probably around about that five star time where it all really started clicking for me. And then like when the, the, the WWE stuff came up, then that sort of reaffirmed it. Cause if they had watched the five star stuff, they wouldn't have tried to touch base with me if they thought I was shit. So no, hundred percent. Um, so just to wrap things up then, uh, again, thank you for your time and coming on. I just want to know what's next for the English lie. And like, obviously coronavirus is, Mm. ongoing now so who knows what's happening with the shows but what goals do you have in wrestling left um yeah no i it is is a bit sad that it's such such a weird thing to be out of sequence like we are you know like i've gone from wrestling every weekend to absolutely nothing for like two and a half months solid and it it is a strange experience but in terms of goals going forward you know um i'd like to I'd like to visit some more countries and, and perform in some different places. That I've always wanted to go to Canada. That's always yeah. somewhere I wanted to go. And um, you know, I want to go back to Germany. I've not been to Germany since like 2010. So I'd like to go back there and do some more and just try and break into like the bigger, the the you know like the the more renowned promotions. Really, yeah. you know, like I I love working for all the promotions that I do. I really do. Um, but it's always good to get, as I say, get out of your comfort zone and do something different and and test yourself and you know as much as i love working for the smaller promotions they don't necessarily get as many eyeballs on them as yeah. other promotions like progress and stuff do you know like the, the, the those shows i do i do really enjoy them as i say there's sort of less stress involved with them and you can really sort of knuckle down and and get the crowd going and, and really involve them um but yeah your fight club pros and your um icws and your progress yeah. and otts and things like that are, it's kind of like the next logical step so trying to find a way into them which is hard when you know as i say they're just packed full of really talented people and uh but yeah that and get get back to nxt or maybe japan it's there's so many avenues for stuff it's just uh just waiting for all this to sort of blow over. It's been, it's kind of been a blessing in disguise, to be honest with you, because I've been working with some injuries for a long period of time, like a back injury that I've had for well over a year. And you just can't take time off because as you, if you're a champion of somewhere and yeah. they need you for shows and you can't just not be there and you know how popular you are with people and, um, and you enjoy being out on the road with the boys and, and being at shows. It's just a lifestyle you get used to. And, you know, like I, I'm grateful that, I never got caught up in the the painkiller thing that some you know like has claimed so many people's lives yeah. prior. I've I've stayed well away from that, but working through injuries is is not good. But 
Um, and I don't recommend it to anyone. So if you're listening to this and you have injuries, take time off for your own longevity. Because there are some people who can attest uh, when I was at my worst with my back injury, like I could barely walk and it was it was not good. And I needed time off, but I just was too stubborn to, to do it. So, <laughs> so this coronavirus thing has been a blessing in disguise and I feel a lot better. And I've, uh, I'm so horribly out of shape at the moment, but it's for the greater good. Um, but uh, I don't foresee shows starting back up again until like September or October time. I don't think I see people advertising shows, but until we get confirmation of when groups of people being allowed in buildings is allowed, yeah. I don't. I think it's going to be at least September or October before that that will happen. Um, so I've got plenty more time to to heal up and. And everyone heal up, and and hopefully people in this time are sort of looking at themselves in terms of their character, their gear, their move set, doing their research, knuckling down. Because I think that when we come out of this, this is going to be a lot of very hungry, very determined people who are going to be looking to 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 sort of break out into the UK scene and further afield. So. Um, I just hope that people are using this time wisely just to be prepared, ready to sort of crack on. And that's what I'm doing. I'm just convalescing and knuckling down and just focusing on on myself, get myself better, get myself 100% ready, ready for when it's time to get going again. No, 100%. And again, wishing you like a speedy recovery essentially with all that. So then when okay. wrestling does pick up, everything mm. can go back to normality. Absolutely. And I think that's what we're all hoping for, a bit of normality, because such a strange time that we live in. And I'm kind of it's kind of a cool thing to be a part of, because this is going to be one of those things that you're going to tell people when you're you're old. You're like, do you remember that time where we all weren't allowed to go outside because that coronavirus? <laughs> but obviously right now it's a, it's a bit sucky because everything's just ground to a halt. But as I say, I, like it, it, it gives people the opportunity to 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 slow down, to focus, to to prioritize their principles and things like that and just get ready for when that that gate opens and we can all get back to it again yeah uh looking at it like hindsight like when you mentioned um oh do you remember that time it's mm. just it's just typical like the year i was supposed to get married and have my first child mm. like so I miss out on that, a lot of that but it is about just focusing in on mm-hmm. the good stuff using this time to be productive with it so mm-hmm. once things do go back to normality you might be in the best shape of your mind. You might be more creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, get that excitement back as well. Yeah, absolutely. And we, wrestling is one of those things that when it's in your blood, you love it. You really do. There are times where you might hate it, but you'll always love it. And I think we all need a break from it sometimes. It can get you down and it, it can it can really sort of break you at times. But but that's what this time is being used for. Like Just really sort of refocus refresh recharge and just get ready to go again yeah exactly so um eddie again thank you for coming on the show uh let people know where can they find you where can they buy your merchandise absolutely uh so i have a facebook profile not a page uh well you can find me on facebook as eddie ryan you'll work out it's me pretty quickly from the profile picture uh you can find me on twitter at, at real english lion uh, i don't know if there's anyone that wants to be a fake one but i'm the real one uh, you can find me on Instagram at English Lion One, and if you are looking to buy yourself a T-shirt or a promo picture or a hat or something along those lines, you can find that at EnglishLion.BigCartel.com. 
Fantastic. And again, Eddie, take care of yourself and thank you for coming on the show. No problem. Thank you for having me. Always use your head. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.